How many of you have ever read uh, The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom? Okay, good. If you haven't, you should. Uh, the Hiding Place is about a Dutch family during World War II, a very reformed Christian Dutch family who, after the Nazi occupation, uh, chose to hide several dozen Jews. Uh, eventually, they're discovered. Uh, the family goes to the concentration camps where many of them die. Uh, and several of the Jews that they save are rescued and some are not. Uh, if you've ever read the book, one of the things that stands out to you, it's written by Corey Ten Boom, but the real heroes of the book are Corey's father and sister, in particular her sister Betsy. Uh, even while they're in the middle of receiving all this persecution from the Nazis, both Corey's father and sister Betsy are constantly concerned about the fate of the Nazis themselves, as much as they are about the Jews and the Dutch and anyone else. Uh, even while they are being persecuted by the Nazis, her father and her sister are constantly commenting about their concern for the souls of the Nazis themselves and not just out for vengeance or, or hatred. And they end up to be very good and clear examples of what it means to respond to, to persecution. So tonight we're going to study Matthew 5, 11 in particular. Uh, you can find this on page 810 of the Pew Bibles. I'm going to go ahead and read uh, verses 5, uh, 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So tonight we're going to focus on verse 11. And if you want big pictures, we're going to talk about first what to expect and then what to and how to respond. So first, what to expect. I'll just read verse 11 again. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Now so far we've been going through all, all the Beatitudes from uh, verses, uh, five, uh, chapter 5, verse 1 through 5.12. Uh, the first set of verses are what we might consider positive verses. These are uh, positive characteristics of the people of God. We are mournful over sin, poor in spirit, hungry and thirsty for righteousness, merciful, meek, and peacemakers. And these characteristics are blessings for us because if we practice them, we show that we, that we belong to the kingdom of heaven. We're blessed because these characteristics can only be given to us by God. We're blessed because they represent Jesus and we are conformed into the image of Jesus. And we're blessed because these are the things that we will receive fully in, in heaven when we are glorified and purged of all our sin. Starting in verse 10 and going through verse 12, we have a second set of Beatitudes that might, you might look at as more uh, negative in, in focus. And they're not so much the characteristics of us as they are the characteristics of the world and how they respond to us. Uh, they will respond to us with persecution, with slander, with hatred. And this is something that, as Paul said to Timothy in uh, in 2 Timothy 3.12, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Jesus will be persecuted. So this is what we are to expect, is what these verses bring, us out, bring, bring out in us. What do we are to expect from the world and their reaction against us? And yet, even here, with negative characteristics, the things that we are to expect as Christians, Jesus still says that these are another source of blessing. So verse 511 begins by pointing out that it's not when, but it's if we are persecuted. It doesn't matter what kind of, of tolerant period we may live in, 
doesn't matter what kind of neighborhood that you're in or what kind of family you're in, even in the most tolerant times, you will expect some degree of irritation, some degree of pushback, some degree of hatred for being a Christian and trying to live godly. And certainly, of course, there will be times when there will be real persecution, such as is experienced today in many parts of the world. Um, so first is reviling. Now, we don't use the word reviling much these days, but we both, but, but, but we all know what it means. It means to accuse, to mock, to reproach, to disgrace, or to insult. Uh, if you want some uh, modern concepts of what that's like, uh, Mark uh, preached to us a couple Sundays ago about the struggle sessions in China, which were meant to mock and revile and shame the people that the regime was trying to punish. Uh, if you're familiar with George Orwell's 1984, you could think of, of, of the two-minute hate, um, or you could think of today's cancel culture as examples of that. And again, this reviling is not just towards us as persons, it's also towards the gospel. Even if we're not reviled personally because people are just trying to be nice, the gospel itself is still reviled and the Christian ethic is still reviled. And lest you think that this is a common thing today, uh, it's been recently, especially during the, the uh, discussions on sexuality, that many people have pointed out that today the world simply does not argue about ethics, it just stig stigmatizes the uh, Christian ethic. And maybe you've, you've heard that, that there's not... There's not argument against it or an argument for uh, unbiblical yeah, un ethics. Rather, there's just state stigma thrown against it. But again, that's not new. There was an uh, evangelical historian writing uh, around the year 1800 who described the British culture in his day, in the late 1700s. He said where the gospel was responded to with irrational disgust must pass for argument and supercilious contempt for demonstration, and that was over 200 years ago at a time that we often think of as a high point for, for a Christian culture. But that was how the world responded then. Uh, next, he talks about persecution. And persecution is related to reviling, uh, often is the way that words are related to action. Uh, persecution ge generally tends to have a sense of more material and physical harm associated with it. Of course, we know that Reviling is uh, a sin as well, and considered a sin as much as physical harm, but there is that sort of degree of escalation of, of evil. And then next, there is utter all kinds of evil. Uh, this is something that we know what it means to be uh, lied about as Christians, uh, to be considered negative uh, for telling the truth. And we've all experienced this to one degree or another, even if it's not been personally. We see how the gospel is treated. Lies are told about it. Lies are told about the scriptures. Lies are told about Jesus. Lies are told about the history of the church. And, these, and also on top of that, all of these, reviling persecution, uttering all sorts of falsehoods, are all parallel and to a degree synonymous. It's just meant to capture how the world will respond to us as, as Christians and respond to the gospel. Next, Peter brings in, I mean, uh, G, Jesus brings in the issue of falsely. And this is something that we need to be very clear about. We are concerned here with suffering falsely for, G, for Jesus' account, uh, not for a legitimate sin that we might commit. So Peter warns us that to suffer for doing sin is not to our credit, but rather if anyone endures the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God, this is to be commended. And Paul went on to say to Titus that the grace of the gospel should train us 
to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So we're not called, certainly, to be hypocrites, to talk about righteousness and to talk about the gospel and then to go out and live like the world. And if we are persecuted for that kind of sin, that's actually not a bad thing. To suffer justly for our sin is a form of sanctification. It's something that God will grant the instruments in the world to punish us for our sin. And that is a way that God can train us to prepare us to be righteous so that we can be unjustly persecuted for the gospel's sake and not just for our own sin's sake. So one thing to consider is how often do we pray about our own sin and how often do we pray that God would discipline us for our sin in this world so that we don't bring shame on the gospel and that we in fact the world can be a blessing to us in that sense to actually help us to conform to to, uh, the image of Christ and to God's law. And Paul exhorts us therefore to live blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and and twisted generation. So it's not a just persecution that we are to that, that we are focused on here. Instead, we are focused on unjust suffering. Blessing comes from unjust suffering for Christ's account. And this in verse 11 is parallel to verse 10 where he says, "Blessed are you if you are persecuted for righteousness sake." We've got righteousness sake Christ account, they are basically the same thing. It's for the gospel and for Christ's gospel. Uh, Jesus himself is to say this in Mark 10, 29, when he says that such suffering is for my sake and for the gospel. The gospel is Christ's righteousness, his alien right, righteousness for sinners, and his taking on our sin and, and giving us his, his righteousness. And if we suffer for the sake of that righteousness on his account, we are suffering for the gospel. So that is what we are to expect. We are to expect suffering for the gospel, not for our sins. We are to be commended to the degree that we conform to Christ and to his name and are suffering on on account of his name. So next, how are we to respond to this? Why does Christ warn us of this persecution? Why is this beatitude here? The reason is pretty simple, because reviling, shaming, persecution, uttering all kinds of false evil, They work. They work to drive people away from Christ. They work to shame us into being quiet. They actually are effective. It is the hatred of the world against our sin, and I mean against us as trying to preach Christ, and it actually is something that produces fear of man. This kind of persecution is something that we all know. We all know what it means to to try to run and hide. Um, And yet God... And yet, Jesus himself gives us the counter to that. When he was talking to his disciples, he said, Do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can can destroy both soul and body in hell. So, why would we want to suffer for this gospel? We suffer for this gospel for the same reason that Jesus did. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy that was set before him was what? It was to redeem a people for himself from their sin, to make for himself a pure bride, a holy priesthood for a nation for himself, and to be their king and their ruler, and to enjoy their worship from him. I mean, their, his worship, their worship for him. And our joy is the same. 
we too are, are called for the joy set before us to endure the sufferings that Christ suffered. This is the upward call of God in Christ, Je- in Christ Je- Jesus for us to be his, di- his di- di- disciple. For Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must take up his cross and follow me daily. And as Paul said in Romans, we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And Peter says much the same thing, but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Now, if you're not a Christian, you may wonder, why should we, why would we endure such things? Reviling, shaming, evil falsehoods being given against us. Well, you as a non-Christian share in these things too. You are persecuted and, and reviled, but you also revile and persecute in turn. Paul said that we are all by nature children of wrath. We deceive, we are quick to shed blood, our mouths are full of curses and bitterness. Even you will receive, as a non-Christian, you will receive the hatred of the world because the, 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 the world is still a hypocrite and hates your sin. It will still persecute you, even as you, per, as, as you persecute others. And you may even suffer unjustly for something that you haven't done. But that's still not a source of blessing. What is the source of blessing is to repent, to confess that Jesus is Lord with, with, with your mouth, to believe in your heart that he has saved you, and then to conform yourself to his law and to his image. And then if you are persecuted on his account, that is where the blessing comes from. But if you don't have a blessing, because you, but you will not receive a blessing if you are not saved. Rather, you will face a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. And that judgment is an eternal judgment by God for the wrath of your sin. So it doesn't matter how unjustly you may be persecuted in this life. If it is simply for your own pride, if it is simply for even for the sins of others, but if you have not committed yourself and your sin to Christ, the only blessing that you will get is the, is, is the wrath of God. If you want this, this blessing of knowing what it means to be saved by Jesus and then to, be su- to share in his sufferings, that is the blessing that comes from this kind of, of persecution. Next, we need to... but. In the face of all this, we as Christians need to be realistic about, again, why is this beatitude in here? Because this type of reviling, this type of persecution is a temptation to us. All we need to think about is Peter when he was uh, reviled for uh, being associated with, with Jesus on the night of, his, of, of Jesus' trial. Peter denied him. And that is a temptation that we all face. And so we need to be realistic about this. This is not something that we can do on ourselves. It's not something that we should be proud of. To face up to the reviling of the world on this for the sake of Jesus is something that we need Jesus himself for. And we need his example. So how did Jesus respond to this reviling? Peter tells us that when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continue to entrust himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And by his wounds you have been healed. 
And Paul tells us that it was for the very men and women who did revile him that Jesus died, that even for us, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So Peter makes this explicit. Jesus did not revile and did not repay evil. So Peter tells us in 1 Peter 3.9, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. So here's an explicit connection between the blessing that Jesus promised as a beatitude and Peter saying this is how we are to act in order to receive this blessing. So notice the connection. The first set of attributes, mournful, seeking justice, a peacemaker, thirsty for righteousness, these are connected to this other set of attributes of the negative attributes. When we are persecuted, we are to appeal back to those first set of attributes that Christ has, has sown within us and that Christ is growing within us. It's one thing to celebrate being a peacemaker as an attribute or, or a beatitude, but it's another thing to be a peacemaker for those who are actually persecuting us. That is something else. And we all need to admit that our response to our violent persecution is usually that of Jonah. Rather than celebrating that those who are our enemies may in fact be saved, instead we want, to, we want our judgment now, we want it for our pride, for our hurt, rather than to share this blessing of the gospel even to those who hate us. Who is sufficient for these things? We're preaching this tonight. I don't follow it. Right now I'm struggling with the same thing. Who is sufficient for these things? Well, praise God, the one who bore the shame of our sin on the cross can and will sustain us. For as it is written of him, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. These reproaches for his account have already fallen on him. There is nothing that we will endure in reviling, uttering of falsehoods, persecution, that is anywhere close to what Jesus suffered for us and in a sense because of our sin by us. And all the consequences of those reproaches have already fallen on him. He has already made the judgment. And our job is to share in the blessings of the gospel to those who have not yet heard it. So we've just talked briefly about what to expect and how to respond. Um, at the end, near the end of the hiding place, Betsy uh, and Corey are both in a concentration camp and Betsy is near death. And she has a vision of a beautiful house after the war in which healing takes place for the victims of World War II, for the victims of the Nazi occupation. And as she is close to death, she gives a sort of commission to Corey that she is to run this house, but in particular, she is to make room in this house for the Nazis. And in fact, Corey records that several years later, one of the very camp guards that she knew at that camp had been saved and had, been, had the blessing of the gospel shared to her through, to, to him through Corey's work. So, brothers and sisters, we must encourage each other to do what we know we cannot do without God's power. Because Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood, therefore let us also go to him outside the gate and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. 
Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And one of the things that we can share as a sacrifice that is pleasing to God is to share the blessings of the gospel, even to those who revile us and persecute us and utter all kinds of evil falsely against us. Now let's pray.